Jesus when I was five years old. I grew up as a son of missionary parents in Ecuador, where I lived for 15 years. I went to college in Arizona, where I met my wife. For the next 10 years, we traveled around while I worked in the information technology field. We served in our local church, and I attended seminary. I often thought about working in full-time ministry, but no opportunities seemed right. I was told about a job here at New Spring Church helping with information technology. It was perfect, an IT job at an amazing church. I took the job and started working in October of 2008. For several months, life was very good and we were very happy. In May of 2009, at age 32, I was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. Immediately, I had surgery to remove a foot and a half of my large intestine and a lemon-sized tumor. I was told that cancer had spread to my spleen and to my liver. Chemotherapy was on the horizon. This was all a very sudden shock to me. I had always been very healthy. I found myself very confused. Why did I have cancer? Had I done something wrong to cause it? Was this a result of many years of sinful living in my past? I was working at a church and serving God. Where did I go wrong? But thankfully, the confusion quickly turned to hope. I knew that God had a plan for my life. I did not understand why I had cancer, but I knew that God was in charge. For three months, I underwent a horrible chemo regimen. Afterwards, I had a scan done, and the results were great. There was no cancer found in my body. We celebrated God's healing and God's faithfulness. And the next few weeks of my life were some of the best as I celebrated being cancer-free. But another scan one month later showed that the cancer had reappeared, this time in my abdominal cavity. I was devastated. Why was it back? Everything was just starting to make sense, but the reoccurrence of cancer caused even greater confusion. I resumed chemotherapy and did more tests. The cancer is now growing and getting worse. Unfortunately, the chemo drugs are no longer effective in my abdomen and surgery is not an option due to the degraded state of my liver. Medically speaking, there is nothing more for me. And medically speaking, I probably will not live to 2011. The Bible says in Matthew 7:11 that God gives good things to those who ask. God cannot give me a bad gift. And it is through that lens that I can say that cancer is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I am a better husband and a better dad a better boss and a better employee, a better friend and a better follower of Jesus. And through cancer, God has shown me some amazing things about himself. Those are indeed great gifts. I still have questions about cancer, why it went away and why it came back. I do not understand, but I know that God is in charge. I am praying for God to heal me. That is my desire. I want to walk my daughter Lizzie down the aisle. I want to watch my sons, Jake and Luke, become men. I want to grow old with Mandy. And I want to live my life with my friends here at work. But I may not be able to work for very much longer. And I may have just celebrated my last Christmas with my family. I do know. 
If God chooses to heal me, then God is God and God is good. If God chooses not to heal me and allows me to die, God is still God and God is still good. To God be the glory. How are we to face seasons of life like this? How are we to face the challenges of life like this? Sure, for you, it may never be cancer. For you, it may never be having to say goodbye to those who you love in a place you feel like it's too early to do so. But you will have challenge. Jesus himself said this world is full of trouble. Life is not easy. There are often more questions than answers. Things often do not make sense. And there will be a time in your life where you are faced with something that you feel like is absolutely a surprise and absolutely beyond your control. What do you do in seasons of life like this? All of us, all of us long. We long with the depth of our soul for wholeness. We long for things to be right. We long for that place of rest, that place of contentment, that place of perfect peace. You have a longing for that today, and it drives much of what you do. We have that longing for things to be as they should be, but the reality is we live in a world where things are broken. We live in a society, in a culture, in a world where things are restless, where things are not as they should be. And you and your life will face trouble. You're going to come up against a circumstance, and I don't know what it is for you today, and it will be the same for me, where things will fall apart. And the question I want to help you answer today, by encouraging you toward the Lord and by lifting high His word, is that how do you face any and every season of life, even the most difficult, even the craziest, even the hardest seasons of life, how do you face them with peace? It is possible. And I want to encourage you today to know the Lord because in relationship with the Lord, in any and every season, you can and will have peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning hungry, Lord, to know you. Lord, more than a deer pants for water when he's thirsty in the middle of a desert, God, our souls now pant, yearn, hunger, thirst for you, God, our living God. Lord, I pray today that we would encounter you by your Holy Spirit and by your grace in Jesus Christ, Lord, would we encounter you in such a way that, Lord, you would show yourself to us and allow us to yield our hearts to you, to trust you in new and in deeper ways than we ever have, and to experience the joy and rest that is available to us in Jesus Christ. God, we pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. We have been in the middle of a series. If you haven't been here, 
called His Name Is. And this series has been designed with one purpose, to point our attention, to point our hearts, to point our minds to God for who He is. So often we come about thinking about God in the wrong direction, trying to think about who we think God is or who we think He should be, but all of us may have different ideas about who God is. What we need is not to understand who we think He is, but to understand who He actually is as He has revealed Himself in His Word. God can and wants to be known. And he, part of the way he's revealed himself to us is through his names. God doesn't just have one name, God, although that is a name that we use for God. I, unfortunately, just have one name, Barrett. Of course, my wife calls me Bear or Sugar Buns or Bee or whatever it is, you know, if, depending on the day. Honey Buns is my favorite. But anyway, um, that's more than you ever wanted to know. <laughs> I really just have one name, and you really do too. God has many names because there, there's not just one name that can describe the all-wonderful, all-powerful, infinite God. And He's chosen to reveal Himself to us through His names, each name indicative of part of who He is and part of how we can know Him and trust Him. Let me tell you, that the reason that you are made, the reason that God formed you when you were in your mother's womb, and yes, He did, the reason that you are here today is for one thing, that you might know God and that you might enjoy Him forever and glorify Him through your life as you know Him and as you enjoy Him. One of the names of God that we're going to be looking at this morning is Jehovah Shalom. And if you're taking note this morning, I always encourage you to take notes, but here is our name of God for the week, Jehovah Shalom. Would you just look at your neighbor and maybe speak that name to them? Practice saying it, yeah. Jehovah. Wow, that was so peaceful as you said it. <laughs> shalom is one of these words that is just like, when I say shalom, it like actually brings peace to me. It's just one of these like very calming words. There's some words that are like that. But actually, Jehovah Shalom, literally translated, means the Lord, our peace. So if you have your Bibles this morning, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. I've been trying to take you to the Word of God every single week, and I've wanted to take you to the source, the origin of the revelation of each of God's names. And so here we are. Judges chapter 6 is where the first time God reveals His name, Jehovah Shalom. Judges is in the Old Testament. For those of you who are new, it is in the Old Testament, part of the history of the people of Israel the beginning of God's promises for His people that extend to us in Christ Jesus. Jehovah Shalom, Judges chapter 6. Is everybody there? If, you're not, if you don't have a Bible this morning, it's okay. We've got it on the screen for you. Um, if you want a Bible, talk to me afterwards. I'd love to give you one. Before we start, uh, I want to just give you a little bit of context as I, um, there we go, as I often try to do. Um, Judges, the book of Judges, is a dark, dark season in the history of Israel. It is a time of great restlessness. It is a time of great confusion. It is a time of great despair and just, it is a gross, yucky season in the life of Israel. It's about 200 years after the book of Leviticus, it's, uh, Joshua has long been dead. The land has been conquered. The land that God had promised to the people of Israel. They had, 
obtained it through his grace and through his victory, through the leadership of Joshua. But now Joshua has died and there's no central leadership. There's no central place of worship. There's no unity. And literally, things spiral in the book of Judges into chaos. And it's not because of God. It's because of God's people. It's because in the season, what we see is God's people constantly turning away from God, doing the things that ought not to be done, not doing the things that ought to be done, not seeking Him with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their strength, all of their mind, not living in His ways, in His presence, by the power of His Spirit, and things go haywire. And the same is true in our life. When we are living outside of the will of God, and living outside of that place where we are seeking God and experiencing God's presence. If you will, uh, hold where you are in Judges chapter 6 and flip over to chapter 17 real quick. And I want to just show you one key verse that really sums up the whole book of Judges. It's Judges chapter 17, verse 6. And if you wanted to put a thesis on the book of Judges, here it is. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did, what they do? What was right in their own eyes. No king in Israel. No one to lead. But even without someone to lead, you would think that the people could still keep their heart after God. To keep, could still be faithful to God. Here is God who had redeemed them by His own hand out of the oppression of the Egyptians, who had committed Himself to them, who had covenanted Himself with them, promising a land, actually getting them into a land. And here we are in just a short period of time. Oh, how easily we can forget, right? How easily our hearts can go astray. And that's exactly what was happening. The people turning to other gods, to other uh, people around them, getting caught up in the world, and their hearts follow. Nathan Stone, a commentator, says uh, they lost their purity, they lost their peace, they lost their prosperity, and they lost their liberty. No one could seem to rise above a material plane of living. To live, to multiply, to inherit the earth seemed like a sufficient fulfillment of their function, an error common to this day. It is not difficult to understand, then, the attraction of the grossly materialistic gods of the heathen for them. They stopped seeking God. They stopped caring about Him. They forgot. And what we see is this crazy cycle in Judges that repeats itself again and again and again, where the people who began in relationship with God begin to lose sight of God, begin to forget about Him, and honestly stop caring about Him. And they seek fulfillment in every other way. They try to find happiness. They try to find rest. They try to find peace. They try to find joy and all the stuff that this world has to offer. But we're not made for this world. We're made for God. Things in this world should be enjoyed out of our relationship with God. But they pursued all this other stuff and basically gave themselves to all these other peoples and all these other gods. And what ends up happening is because of their rebellion, they end up in seasons of great chaos and confusion. The Lord allows their sin to take full effect on their lives. And what ends up happening is a people who were once with the Lord turn away from the Lord and then they reap the consequences of their rebellion. Often what happened was people would come into the land of Israel, their enemies, and would attack them, would take part of their land, would oppress them. That's not God's will for His people and it's not God's will for you to to be in a place where you're discontented, 
to be in a place where you're in bondage to sin, to be in a place where things are chaotic and in turmoil in your life, do you think that's what God wants for you? No, it's not what he wants. But that is the consequence of turning away from God. The people would experience that, and then they'd get to rock bottom and go, Oh, no! Life sucks! Now things are terrible! I'm, I'm broke! My family's going to pot! And it's in those low moments of life the most often that we're willing to cry out to God, is it not? And they'd hit those low moments, they'd cry out to God, and they'd find God as He truly is, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, full of kindness, willing to forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. And as they sought His restoration, things, again, would get better. But then the cycle would continue. And how sad it is, right, when people get stuck in the cycle of sin. The Lord doesn't want that. Just things good, then they things turn away from God, now things bad, now I cry out again, and things are good, now I turn away. I mean, that's just so sad. It's not what God wanted for His people, it's not what God wanted for you. But this is exactly where we find ourselves in Judges. Now, as we look at chapter 6 here, we are in a time where the Midianites were oppressing the land. And these jokers were bad, bad boys. They were not cool, okay? The Midianites were awful oppressors of Israel. And it was a time at which the people literally were hiding in caves. They were hiding from the Midianites. Because what would happen is these Midianite armies would literally, by the thousands, come and just sweep through an area. They would destroy every house. They would take women and children. They would kill livestock. I mean, they would just destroy, literally annihilate the people. So the people were in a place of hiding. Imagine how horrible this would be. How horrible this is. Similar to seasons of life that sometimes we face. Sometimes by our own choice. Many times just because this world is full of trouble. Let's start here in chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, careful not to say Oprah there, it's Ophrah, all right? Big difference. Which belonged to Joash, the Berzite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Oh, but now the Lord has forsaken us, and he's, he's given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. And save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, 
and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me, show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and and bring out my present and I set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house and he prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put on a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. And to this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Berezites. So, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. First thing I want you to see here is Gideon's need for peace. Two-part need, and very similar to our own, which we'll get to in a second, all right? We're going to move through this kind of quickly, so strap on your seatbelt, and I want you to follow me. Gideon, in this place, at this time, in his circumstances and in his heart, had a great need to experience the peace of God. Circumstantially, were things good or things bad in the land of Israel? Things were bad. In fact, they were terrible. Look at verse 6 again of chapter 6. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help against God. This was the low of the low points in terms of Gideon's circumstance, in terms of what he was dealing with. Listen, the guy is out threshing wheat. Where is he threshing wheat? In the wine press. Now, that doesn't make sense, right? If you go, uh, I'm trying to think about in my kitchen today. You know, if I go to stir up my Kool-Aid, Inside of my, uh, what are you, what's something that you wouldn't use for Kool-Aid? A mixer. Actually, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. If I stirred it in my toilet bowl, it wouldn't make sense, all right? There's, that's more the picture, right? Why in the world would he be threshing wheat inside the wine press? Well, the reason is because they usually thresh wheat out in the open. But because of the oppression of the Midianites, he's having to thresh wheat in the closed 
areas, in the private areas, he's putting it inside the wine press so that the Midianites wouldn't even see what he was doing because if they saw what he was doing, what might happen? They might come and take his wheat. Imagine that kind of place. Some of our, uh, some, many of us in this room have known people who are older than us that have gone through seasons of war, seasons of great turmoil, have lived in places where literally their life was in danger. This is where Gideon is. It's a place of great uh, anxiety, restlessness. Things are trouble on every side, every day getting up wondering what you're going to face that day. This was not a good place for Gideon. This was not a good place for the people of Israel. He needed peace because of what he was going through in life. Secondly, he needed peace because of his own heart. One of the most interesting things I see in this passage is not just his anxiety over the fact that things are bad with Israel, and he does, he does wonder, oh, how is this going to get better? But secondly, the fear that he has when he encounters the angel. Look at verse 22 to 24 again. Look, Gideon suddenly perceives that he was in the presence of the angel of the Lord. And he basically says, oh, I mean, alas. I mean, we don't ever say alas, right? But that feeling of like, oh, junk, you know, that like, uh-oh moment where you realize something, you know, it, it, anyway, it happens to us. And I won't give you a story right now because what I was thinking of is not appropriate. But you have those oh, junk moments, Right. Oh boy, look what just happened. Here, this is the feeling. Alas, oh Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Not only is his circumstance creating anxiety, but his heart is creating anxiety. Why is he so troubled at the sight of this angel of the Lord? Why is he so freaked out when he realizes that he's in the presence of a holy one of God? It's because in his heart, There's trouble. Not only in his circumstances, but within himself, there's anxiety, there's restlessness, there's need, and there's trouble. Imagine his feeling. Can you relate? Imagine his fear. You can kind of understand and relate to the question that he asked. Um, Lord, okay, you're coming to me to like tell me all this stuff, but... I don't really understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. Why am I having to deal with this right now? I mean, you hear that question come out of him, right? Why are we oppressed? Why am I having to deal with all of this mess? It's a very relatable question if you're honest with yourself and sometimes the things that we go through in life. God gives Gideon something. See, Gideon needs peace. But God provides for Gideon something. And it's interesting. It comes in the form of a word. Gideon freaks out at the presence of the angel. He's freaked out about his circumstances. His main question is, why? Lord, this is awful. Everything in me, everything around me, ruined. Why? Why? And the Lord comes and he gives him a word. And what's the word? Look at it. Verse 23, the Lord gives him a word. He says to him, what? Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. The word's so strong that Gideon immediately goes and he builds an altar and he names the altar, what? Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our 
peace. What is God trying to communicate to Gideon? And what is he trying to communicate to us? Let me show you. Jehovah, we've gone through this week after week after week because it's so tied to many other names, meaning God who always has been, who is today and who is forever. Jehovah, the ever-present existing one. God, the only God, the eternal God. Shalom. What is shalom? Well, it's translated a lot of different ways in Scripture, and I'll give you the the summary in just a second. Whole. Finished. Full. Paid for. The idea of restitution, made right. Welfare and well. Speaking of health and wellness. Paid. Fulfilling obligations, making right, and 20 times translated as perfect. Shalom. This idea of wholeness, this idea of completeness. Let me give you the summary here. Essentially, what God is saying, if you'll go to the next slide, is this. I am God, eternal God, who is a God of peace. I am Jehovah, God who always has been and who is today in this moment and who forever will be the Lord who brings shalom to your life and shalom to this world. I am the Lord, your peace. I am the one who gives satisfaction. I am the one who gives contentment. I am the one who offers rest. I am the Lord who restores perfect harmony of relationship, that relationship between you and him, and who offers reconciliation based on the completion of a transaction, on the payment of a debt. The Lord comes to Gideon in the midst of his troubling circumstances, in the midst of his troubling heart, and he says, I am the Lord, your peace. Peace, shalom. Be with you. And let me tell you how it's going to be with you, Gideon. I am with you. I am with you. You are going to walk through these difficult circumstances and you are going to be used by me in great ways. And Gideon, know that I am Jehovah Shalom and I am with you. You will walk forward, not alone, but you will walk forward with me. And because of my presence, Gideon, you will know contentment. Circumstances may be crazy around you, but in your heart, you will have your heart set upon me because I will be with you. I will walk with you. I will carry you. I will be your strength. And you will have perfect peace. And not only that, Gideon, but I know how scared you are of being in my presence. Just like Isaiah saw the presence of the Lord and what happened? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, a person of unclean lips, right? In the presence of God, we experience our sin. Same thing with Adam and Eve. They're in the garden, right? Naked. Things were, they didn't have anything to hide. There was no shame. And then they sinned against the Lord. And what happened when they heard the Lord walking through the garden? They hid themselves. 
it's a common human experience that you will hide from God or think you're hiding from God, and you will hide your sin in the presence of God. Because it, we know it creates a barrier. We know it creates a problem. We know that it must be dealt with. We feel unworthy to be with God who is so holy and so perfect because we understand our sin and we feel our shame. Y'all with me? But part of what the Lord speaks to Gideon is that he is a God who will bring peace again between him and man. How do we see that in Judges 6? Well, we see it because what does Gideon do? He says, if you're really God, let me go and prepare a sacrifice for you, and I'm going to bring it back. And then when he does, the angel of the Lord accepts Gideon's sacrifice. And what does he do? He consumes it in full. That sacrifice being a symbol, being a type of the one who was to come. That sacrifice, see, we know that our sin deserves a penalty. And the Bible says clearly that penalty is death. If we don't take on our sin, something else needs to. And that's why the sacrifice is given. And that's why the Lord chooses to consume it in full because for Gideon to have shalom, which he's promising, there has to be a removal of sin, a restoration of relationship. And this sacrifice for the moment serves as the one who would bear the sin for Gideon. You understand? In his circumstance, in his heart, restlessness, but the Lord shows up, I am Jehovah, shalom, have my peace. I am with you and I will pay the debt. I will make the sacrifice for you to be whole with me again. Praise God, right? Same thing for us, guys. Our need for peace. Today, you may not live oppressed by the Midianites, but you live in a world that's full of trouble. Like the video we saw earlier, things are hard. Things are tough. What happens when you go to the doctor for your next checkup and they tell you that you have a year left to live? And I, I pray that doesn't happen to any of you, but for some of us it could. What happens when you find out one who you love has a terminally, I mean, a terminal disease that will take them before you want them to go? What happens when you lose your job or get laid off like many of the Shelby County teachers this week right before they started school? What happens when things go chaotic in your world and you can't make sense of it? What happens then? K. Author, uh, who wrote a book on the names of the Lord, says this. She says, when the hour is dark and desperate, when we finally long for God's peace, then we crave it. Our sanity depends on it. Fear grips us. We grope through the darkness, longing for peace's reassurance that everything will be all right. Sometimes we find ourselves hiding in caves. Sometimes we get anxious about what's going to happen next and how we're going to survive. Times are crazy. Things feel like they're falling apart, right? This world even sometimes is in turmoil. The, the major travel alert that was issued this week, you know, people, you know, going on our mission trips. What does that mean for us? Well, I don't know. I don't know, you know. I know the kingdom of God is worth it. We still go. We'll lay our life down if we need to. But listen, the world even is in trouble. 
And sometimes our tendency, just like Gideon, is to ask, why? Why? Why do I have to go through this? And we know also it's not just our circumstance, but it's deeper than that. It's in our spirit. Uh, Back to Nathan Stone, he says, well, yeah, here we go. The fear that comes over circumstances of this life is nothing compared to the fear that can come when one finds himself face to face with God. You sense that things in you are not always right with God. And yet we know, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we all will appear one day before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 through 12, so then each one of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. For Christians and non-Christians alike, there will be a day when you stand naked before the throne of God. And you will give an account of your life and everything that you have thought and everything that you have said and everything that has gone on your heart, you will give an account. You will have a Gideon moment where you realize, oh, junk, I'm in the presence of the all-holy God who made me, who created me for himself, and what have I done with my life? And that sense of restlessness, even with our relationship with God, sometimes keeps us up at night. That sense of anxiety or that sense of wondering or even that emptiness when we're not living with him or in peace with him, that will keep you up at night, will it not? The lack of peace. But yet, just as God came to Gideon, he comes to us and he speaks to us, I am Jehovah Shalom. What is God's provision for us? Well, He has given for us Jesus Christ. And I want to point your highest attention, your greatest affection, your, your, I want you this morning, if you hear nothing else, to know that God has come in a person, Jesus Christ, so that you might have peace in your life. God has come in human form in the likeness of us so that we might know and realize and receive His awesome and perfect shalom in our life. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Luke chapter 2, at the arrival of Jesus, the angels heralded in the sky, Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Before Jesus was even born, Zechariah prophesied that this child would guide our feet into the path of peace. Jesus, when he was here, in his own person, declared that in him was perfect peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. But do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. 
in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus looks at a crowd just like he would look at you today and say, Come to me, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, all who feel burdened and destroyed and crushed by the pressures of this life or by their own sin against God, come to me, come, and I, I will give you rest. You will find rest, shalom, peace for your souls. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, the Lord promises through Christ that he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us, that we can say in confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere men do to me? Jesus, throughout his ministry, preached a message of peace. He often said to people after he forgave their sin or after he healed their circumstance, go in what? In peace. Often at the beginning and the end of the epistles, what we see is God described as may the God of peace be with you all. Because of Christ, there is peace. Ephesians 2 verse 17 says that Jesus preached peace to those who were near and peace to those who were far off. But let me tell you why most of all Jesus Christ can give you peace today. It's because of what he did on the cross. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore we have been justified through faith. Now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 says that through Jesus, God was reconciling to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus gives peace. Not only does he promise peace to those who will trust him, to those who will receive him, but he actually brings peace between you and God through taking on your own guilt, your own shame, your own sin into his own body and suffering there on the cross, taking on the wrath of God, going to the grave. It is Jesus Christ that opens again a way for you to be reconciled with God. The definition of sin is a debt. And Jesus Christ takes on your debt so the relationship can be restored. Amen. Praise God. There are three basic types of peace that the Bible talks about. There is peace with God, and you need all three. Peace with God. And Jesus Christ brings it. Let me tell you, you will not be able to go to Barnes and Nobles. I don't care how many philosophy books you can pile up. They will not rid your heart of sin. Even all the best practical advice, and I I love practical advice, but what you need in your heart is to be forgiven of your sin. You need your sin to be removed. The only way to have peace with God is not to go out and buy more clothes so that people think better of you. It's to go out and have a better house so you feel safer. It's not to perform better on your test so that you can get the best job or be seen as the best in your class. We search for peace in a million ways that we'll never provide it. 
I was talking to somebody the other day about drugs and the fact that drugs are so often turned to, to, to settle our soul. Alcohol, the same way. All these substances that we try to find that peace that we so want and need. But they'll never be able to do it. Your church attendants won't do it. And there's no water in the world. You can't be baptized enough to find peace. The only way to have peace is to be right with God again. And the only way to be right with God is to receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. Amen? We all need peace with God. And Jesus Christ is Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Secondly, we not only need peace with God, but we need the peace of God. In the middle of circumstances, you need the peace of God. And there are a lot of people who have peace with God, but they live life, they, they settle for something that they shouldn't settle for. See, when you have Jesus Christ, not only can you have peace with God, but you can have the peace of God in every and any circumstance. The storm is raging. The waters are crashing against the rocks. The thunder is rolling. The lightning is striking. And you find the little bird with a wing over his head just sleeping. That's like us when we live in relationship with God. Philippians chapter 4 perhaps has the best encouragement for us. And I want you to write this down in terms of what we can experience in our life. But we have to put our faith in Christ day by day, circumstance by circumstance. And when we do, we will have peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, the peace, the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? Not only can you have peace with God, but you can experience the peace of God when you trust Him. And you can know that He is with you and that He is for you. And there is nothing that can come against you because greater is His love. And then thirdly, future peace. The reality of death is conscious for all of us. We think about it. We know about it. We can change the names of, of graveyards to, to memorial sites, and we can, uh, we, can, we can try to fool ourselves into thinking that somehow we will not die, but we will die, and we know that we will die. We know that life is not forever, and you need peace as you approach the future. And one of the amazing things about Jesus Christ is that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that he promises that he is preparing for us a home with him so that where he is, we will also be. God not only gives us peace with him, he not only gives us the peace of him through life circumstances, but he promises peace eternal as we trust him. I'm done. Okay, I'm done. I'm not... I'm not wasting my time this morning. I don't want you to waste yours. What we're, not, what we're talking about today is not some manufactured piece, religious humbum. This is real. This is real life. 
and you are living in a real world, and you are a real person, and you have a real heart, and it was made for God. And I want you this morning to know that in any and every circumstance that you will face in this life, and even as you approach death, or the loss of those who you love, or the loss of everything that you feel is dear, the Lord is peace. Not only is he, is, not only is he peace, but he offers peace. And he's done it in his son, Jesus Christ. And my encouragement to you today is to put your hope and trust in Jehovah Shalom. There is no other way that you will have peace with God, the peace of God, or future peace. It is only through Jesus. And this is real. I want to show you now the conclusion of the story that we started at the beginning of this message. And I want you to hear how in life's circumstance, for those who have hoped in Jesus Christ, His peace is real. And I want you to see in a real story Jehovah Shalom. The day that Zach died, there was a huge and sudden storm. The kind that creeps in without warning, comes at you fast, and leaves in an instant. As I was saying goodbye to my love, the clouds came, the earth shook, and the thunder rumbled. One year and eight days after being diagnosed with cancer, Zach stepped into eternity. Since I was a little girl, I asked God to bring me the perfect husband. Zach and I met in the fall of 1994, and after four years of dating, we got married. We added to the joy in our lives by having our only girl, Lizzie Darling. And then, 19 months later, God blessed us with our first boy, Jake. But our family wasn't complete there. We then had our cherry on top, Luke. We were a perfectly happy family of five. When Zach died, I was wrecked. In an instant, I had lost my husband, my best friend, and an incredible father. My world had changed forever. My identity in the past 17 years had been so much about who I was with Zach. He was my everything. Even though he dealt with a year-long battle of cancer, it seemed all so sudden. And now the kids and I were left to learn how to grieve. We spent the next few months trying to figure out what this life without Zach was supposed to look like. His absence was overwhelming. I prepared way too much food at dinner, not remembering that he wasn't there to eat it with us. One side of the bed always stayed made. There was no one to sleep in it. His chair sat empty. And I no longer heard the sounds of him and the kids playing while watching TV. We were now a family of four. Grief is so hard. No one can tell you how you are going to feel or when it will strike. But God is so good and so faithful. He has given hope to our family. Hope for today when we grieve and all of the tomorrows that are yet to come. God has shown hope to my family through circumstances, gifts of goodness, and through the promises in his word. Zach and the boys were always such huge Broncos fans. And in October, we had the opportunity to fly to Denver, Colorado, and get to meet two of the Broncos players, Tim Tebow and Britton Colquitt. This was such a dream come true for my boys. And then in November, 
Family First organization flew us to Tampa Bay, Florida to receive the All Pro Dad Award from Tony Dungy. It was so awesome to see my kids receive a standing ovation in honor of their dad. It was such a blessing to see how Zach's story and suffering blessed others. But even after the incredible experiences God has brought to us and through the love and support that we received from family and friends, God ultimately shows His goodness to us through the promises in His Word. Jeremiah 29.11 tells us that God has a plan for us, and that plan is to foster, and it's for hope, and it's for a future. I tell my kids this all the time. God is not a God of chaos. He doesn't just throw stuff to us in our lives and then walk away. He has a plan for us. We might not always understand that plan, but we know that it is good. There are some days that are really hard, and yes, times are tough. But God reminds us of His goodness through the promises in His Word. God shows hope to people in different ways. What's been my experience might not be yours. But I can tell you this. If you desperately seek and run after Him, He will make Himself known to you. As Zach's soul left the earth and went to where it was meant to be, I looked out the window. And as the storm cleared, the sun began to shine through the clouds. It was then I realized that he was healed. He was no longer in pain. At that moment, God gave me hope. God knew that I would be a widow and mother to three at the age of 32. Why did he allow this to happen? I don't have all the answers. But I do know that I will praise God. Because through cancer and death and grief, God is still God, and God is still good. To God be the glory. Jehovah Shalom. We stand as we respond to God today and continue in worship. And I'll just ask today as we close, do you know Jehovah Shalom? Do you have peace with God? Do you know that in any and every circumstance you can have the peace of God? And Do you have the promise of future peace? If you don't today, or if there are areas of your life that you're wrestling with God today, will you receive Jesus Christ? Will you put your trust and your faith in Him? Will you yield yourself to Him? He is our peace.